Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. This is another podcast of World Wide Wave, the international LGBT news and current affairs show, every week on Australia's first LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. Surfing the Globe, bringing you news, views, and current affairs for the LGBT community. This is the World Wide Wave. It's World Wide Wave time. Joy's international news and current affairs show for and by the LGBTI community. We love taking you around the globe one queer story at a time. We are, in fact, live from the Bunurong lands of the Kulin Nation in the Victorian Pride Centre. Good evening, Andrew. Good evening. The world of sport has long had an uncomfortable relationship with trans and intersex athletes. This continued last week with World Athletics changing its eligibility rules to exclude any female athlete that had gone through male puberty. It also effectively forces unnecessary medical interventions that could cause harm to athletes. There is no scientific consensus that trans women have an unfair advantage in sport. Human Rights Watch, who have been campaigning against these types of policies at the elite level for some time, say that the policy is built on stereotypes. Their senior researcher, Kyle Knight, joins us tonight. Here's a taste of what's coming up. We know there are physical attributes that give you an advantage in some sports. We also know that not everyone who is tall is good at basketball, and not everyone who has long legs is a faster runner than people with shorter legs. We know it's multifaceted, and so when you see a policy that tries to oversimplify like this, that's an immediate red flag. And then when you see a policy that tries to police a single gender like this, that's the other red flag. We're talking all things sport tonight, and... I wonder what your experience is of inclusion in sport. Have you played a sport and felt really welcome? Have you had a really bad experience? Um, I think, you know, the AFL has come a long way. It took a long time for them to start, but now they've come a long way with both the AFL women's game and the Pride rounds, things like that. So there's some good things happening. Um, What's your favourite sport? And uh, I guess actually we could counter that with the NRL who... Are having trouble getting their pride rounds off the off the ground. Yes, absolutely. Well, many sports have been wrestling with the issue of trans people. In almost all cases, the focus is on trans women and whether they receive a genetic advantage in elite sport. World Athletics announced their new policy last week involving a ban on trans athletes who went through male puberty and medical procedures to reduce testosterone levels. Human Rights Watch has been a lead campaigner against these kinds of harmful tests for trans and intersex people. They say that these tests are based on suspicion and are potentially harmful. Kyle Knight is their senior researcher. We asked Kyle to start by explaining what World Athletics ruled last week. So the World Athletics announcement last week is that they have updated 
and changed some of their regulations regarding to eligibility, specifically to compete in the women's category in athletic events at the elite level in international competitions. What this means in particular uh, for sex testing um, is that they have lowered the allowed testosterone level in women competitors. So it used to be, well, back in history, it used to be as high as 10 nanomoles per liter. Um, then it came down a few years ago to five nanomoles per liter, and they've now lowered it to 2.5 nanomoles per liter. Now, I think what's critical to notice here is that these are arbitrary levels. There is no correct level of endogenous naturally circulating his testosterone in a woman. Um, and there's also not a linear relationship between testosterone levels and performance and performance advantage. So what we're looking at is a tightening of this arbitrary hormone level. And then they've added in some other things as well. So for example, you now have to be diagnosed with one of several um, DSDs, um, differences of sex development or intersex variations, depending on um, who you're talking to, what it's called. And you have to keep your hormones this low for 24 months. It used to be a shorter period, but they've extended it to a full two years. So this means that any woman athlete who has testosterone higher than 2.5 nanomoles per liter will have to either take drugs or have surgery to bring her testosterone levels down below 2.5 and keep them there for 20 months in advance of a competition to even just be eligible to compete. And if they've got any competitions in the next 24 months, I assume they're not eligible? That is correct. So um, as we heard at the press conference when World Athletics announced this, um, World Athletics themselves is aware of 13 women who would otherwise, under the old regulations that were in existence until last week, uh, have been eligible to run in events at the World Championships in Turkey in August. And they are now suddenly not going to be eligible because uh, that's closer than 24 months away. There is no way that they can lower their hormones within the regulated range now. But I think the important thing to land on with that is just what that tells you about the kind of surveillance this puts on women's bodies in sport. The president of World Athletics sat at the press conference announcing these new regulations and could say offhand that he was already aware of 13 women who could have competed in Turkey in August who will not be competing because he knows their exact hormone levels and he knows they are not below 2.5. Um, and that's not saying that it will only be 13 who get ruled ineligible, but it just shows you the extent to which World Athletics is tracking and surveilling virtually every woman who wants to compete in one of these events. Right. So they're not... They're not like doing a, a, a test for medal winners. They're, you don't have to register if you are trans or intersex. They're doing this across the board for any woman in elite sport? Well, so that's a tricky question to answer, but I think it's actually the crux of it, right? The way that you can get detected um, as someone who, a woman who might have hormone levels higher than this new arbitrarily determined level, there's myriad ways, right? So history shows that there have been cases where competitors have reported their competitions and, ah, uh, she walks a bit like a man or her chest is a little flat or her voice is a little deep. Um, there's something about her that's not quite as womanly as I personally would like to see. And that triggers an investigation that goes into blood tests and genital examinations. And then the person ends up getting ruled out, right? 
because it is discovered that she has testosterone above five or 2.5 or whatever the level happens to be at that particular time in history. So we know from history that this is the way that it happens. Other ways can be a little more insidious even. So for example, and this is going to be particularly important with the 24 month suppression rule, which is new in this set of regulations is women who do well, right? Women who are successful, who come up through a domestic competition, a regional competition into an international competition, and they're good. The new stars on the scene, the ones who are younger, the ones who are winning medals, who are showing up, they're going to be the emerging talent. They're Maybe they're the ones everyone's looking at for the next Olympics. They're also going to be increasingly scrutinized. And we've seen this happen historically as well. Because if you come onto the scene and you're doing well, people get suspicious. People get jealous. People start asking questions. And that's where you also see people start getting reported. You see national athletics associations hauling women in, uh, having them blood tested, having them go through physical exams just because they were successful. So it really puts a lot of these athletes in a bit of a catch-22 because if you're too successful, you can automatically get dragged in for this type of scrutiny. That's Kyle Knight, Senior Researcher at Human Rights Watch with us on Joy 94.9. Um, the, this is a new tool if you want to, you know, cause pain for your competitor. Yeah. Whether, whether it's a, it could be, um, you know, an individual athlete who calls somebody out and says they're a bit sus or the country, if you're at a, you know, off a, to an international competition and the country wants to win more medals, then they could, cause a lot of trouble here this sounds really loose yeah it's it's very much like big brother isn't it and and that 24 month um restriction could you imagine if you had been you know training your whole life building to this and you're you're dead set ready to go top of your game going to the next world athletics meet which is later this year and all of a sudden gone yes terrible Lots and lots of challenges here. We're going to explore them more. Coming up, we discuss the science behind testosterone in women's sport. Hi, I'm Ami Konhovsepian. I work for Pink Armenia and our organization deals with LGBT issues here for the worldwide wave. Talking all things LGBT people, particularly trans people in sport. Uh, we're putting the call out to you about your experiences in sport. Maybe you actually avoid sport because you don't think it's a welcoming environment. I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to hockey. I played hockey for a while and hockey in Victoria has been particularly progressive. They've sort of been ahead of the game uh, on inclusion and acceptance and had pride rounds and created the rainbow socks to wear, um, where every team across the competition, the captain and anybody else who wanted to wear on a certain round wore the rainbow socks. No, oh, that's have great. to say there was still one team that, threw around some homophobic slurs as a result. Oh, but at least organisationally, you know, um, you know, all the other teams were, were great. Hmm. So Good. I think that sort of visible support is uh, is quite important on the road path to change. Hockey's a great way to lose your front teeth. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I've still got mine. <laughs> we are talking all things trans issues tonight and the decision by athletics uh, World Athletics last week. Part of the complexity of the issue of trans and intersex athletes is the sporting structures themselves. Decisions involve sporting governing bodies at both the international and national levels, governments and their ministers, health providers, uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency, and like many things, sport at the elite level is also political. The athletes themselves are almost an afterthought. 
Kyle Knight authored a research report in 2020 titled They're Chasing Us Away from Sport, Human Rights Violations in Se- and Sex Testing of Elite Women Athletes. Kyle has been following this issue for years and we asked Kyle to talk us through the apparent science. Sebastian Coe, the head of World Athletics, they've basically set up a committee to monitor this and he said we will be guided by the science around physical performance and male advantage, which will inevitably develop over the coming years. So they're bringing in this change before they've got the science, but saying they'll be guided by science? And I guess, is there science? (laughs) I mean... In Sebastian Coe's mind, there is science and there is um, the projection of the idea of science. But the real question is, is there science? The answer is no. There is no science that proves a cause and effect linear relationship between testosterone levels at a naturally circulating testosterone levels uh, and a woman's performance in a particular sport. It's just not that simple, right? If you think about what it means to develop as an athlete, you're talking about nutrition, you're talking about training. Uh, We all know athletes like to train at higher altitudes before competitions because it helps with certain performance aspects. It's the science of sports performance is incredibly complicated. And so when Co is endorsing a policy like this and saying, well, it's the science, you can tell immediately that he's being, uh, he's being misleading because the science of sport is so multifaceted. No one would sit down with you and say, ah, well, the one thing that makes an amazing basketball player is that person's height. And if you're below a certain height, you absolutely cannot play basketball. We know that's not true, right? We also know it's not true for all a whole variety of sporting events. And so, There is no new science that has, there's no new studies that have come out that have been, you know, pushing this uh, particular revision along. And if they're relying on the old science, that's been pretty thoroughly debunked that the data were misinterpreted. Some of the data were collected unethically. There's a particularly famous paper, I think from 2013 or so that has only four cases documented. We're not talking about an enormous sample size. So of course you always have to, to look at that when you're examining scientific evidence, but it also talks about coercing women into surgeries that they didn't need. It talks about um, uh, you know, stereotypes about their bodies that were spoken to them by medical practitioners in a way of telling them that they should undergo these procedures. We're not talking about science so much as we're talking about a history of bigotry inflected through science and scientific practitioners. So, so no, when Sebastian Coe says they're following the science, that's not true from a substantive perspective. And it's also not true from a linear perspective because as he even acknowledges, you know, science is forthcoming. And I guess reinforcing that this seems to have no logic to it at all. If an athlete has, you know, um, much longer legs than the average, or if they have a, a heart rate that can run lower than the average, they're not subject to any testing or something. That's just the way they are. That's correct. Um, you know, as we know about humanity in general carries through to athletes as well. There's a wide range of bodily diversity and, and some things do confer performance advantage. I am not a particularly good athlete, but I am personally very tall. And so I play in a recreational basketball team probably because I'm tall. I don't think I have a lot else that I bring. Um, and this is true across competitive sports in the elite level as well, right? We see uh, swimmers with certain advantages about sort of lactic acid processing and all kinds of stuff that goes way over my head because I'm not a sports scientist myself. We know there are physical attributes that give you an advantage in some sports. 
we also know that not everyone who is tall is good at basketball and not everyone who has long legs is a faster runner than people with shorter legs. We know it's multifaceted. And so when you see a policy that tries to oversimplify like this, that's an immediate red flag. And then when you see a policy that tries to police a single gender like this, that's the other red flag. My question back to them would be, well, where's the policy for men? Where's the policy that talks about men's hormones levels or men's physical attributes? We don't have that, right? We don't scrutinize male bodies in the same way as a society, globally speaking. And so there's a lot of red flags across the board here about not only the data or not only sort of the oversimplification, but also the decision-making processes that go into this. So World Athletics can claim they have a committee and they have some people with medical degrees on that committee, but they're just throwing out credentials. They're not throwing out facts or they're not showing, they're not showing how it's actually determinative because deep down this policy and sort of the, the logic that it rests on has been shown to be very, very shaky historically. And it's no different with this iteration. Aside from the bans, the 24-month period, this just must make it really difficult for a trans or an intersex athlete because they've got to undergo tests and scrutiny, constant scrutiny over that time that their competitors don't have to. Yeah, and when you think about it, this isn't just about what happens on the track or the field, right? And I think that's one of the things where World Athletics has really harmfully misfired with the history of sex testing and also with these regulations as well. You know, when you're an athlete, in particular, if you're talking about athletes born with intersex variations, sometimes they don't know. They don't know they have higher than typical testosterone levels. Maybe they're being raised in a place um, of socioeconomic depravity. Maybe they haven't had, maybe they haven't seen a doctor. I interviewed athletes for our report that we published in 2020 on this issue, who the first time they had visited a doctor in their entire adult life was when the sports federation told them they had to go in and get their blood tested to see if their hormones were appropriate enough for a woman to compete right they don't have this interaction with the medical establishment where they're saying oh, i'll just go talk to my doctor and see how that goes that's not how it works so it's a, it's a huge blind side and i think you also have to think about on the other side of it too when you're a really good athlete um, and this becomes your profession it becomes your income. It becomes your livelihood. And for many of the women who have been successful, in particular from sub-Saharan Africa in these races, their livelihood is their family's livelihood. You know, getting a sponsorship by a Nike or some other major uh, sports organization, getting on television, being part of a national athletics team, this is life-changing, not just for them, but for their entire families. And so to be blindsided with this idea that you are suddenly not eligible for something that you weren't even aware of, let alone you can't even control, and to be told like, well, there is some stuff you can do. There's some drugs you can take. There's some surgeries you can have. You can you can follow our rules, which by the way, we're making up. We didn't, we didn't actually base them on, on particularly good science. It's it's incredibly unnerving and humiliating and just completely deteriorates the sense of self, the sense of confidence. And I can tell you from having interviewed dozens of women affected by these regulations historically, these are not people who see themselves as victims. I mean, these are some of the best athletes competing on the planet. They are not people who... Uh, are you know unfamiliar with overcoming adversity adversity these are not people who who look at a challenge and back down these are some of the strongest most strong-willed people i have ever met in my entire life 
And all of a sudden they're told, yeah, there's just something about you that's not quite right for us. So you're not welcome here anymore. And the degree and the breadth of devastation is something that is just truly, truly remarkable and heartbreaking. Speaking from San Francisco, that's Kyle Knight from Human Rights Watch on Joy 94.9. I, t I hadn't, until he mentioned it, thought of the implications beyond the athlete to the family. And, you know, if, if uh, um, the country that you've come from, you are a sporting hero and that's taken away and the sponsorships go and, yeah, your your family suffers because of something that's outside of your control. Yeah, so it's really wide-reaching consequences, isn't it? Very much so, very much so. It, it also sounds to me like, I mean, the whole thing's a dog's breakfast in my view, but um, it sounds to me like they've spent a lot of time on this for what uh, Sebastian Coe said himself is, you know, currently 13 people. When I think of the number of athletes there are in the world, yes, <laughs> and they're spending a lot of time on this microcosm of people that they can't define and they pull out these arbitrary numbers. Yeah, why is that? It'd be interesting to know why they're focusing that way. I, I think there must be – I think it comes back to the politics too. It's a sort of a, a chance to, uh, you know, push some athletes out of the way. It's a, a tool mm. perhaps. I'm, I, I don't know. Trans issues are very much to the fore at the moment. That's right. Yeah, very much worldwide. But – if that's if that's the case, as Kyle points out, why is there not a rule around trans men? Yeah. So is yeah. that, you know, it's kind of fits if they're going back to stereotypes that oh well if, if men are stronger than women then we don't need one for men type yes, thing. I, yeah, I, that's it. Does not make sense. Mm, mm. Bizarre. Strange, strange. Coming up on Joy 94.9, we find out if there is anything that can be done to oppose these new rules from World Athletics. This is World Wide Wave. Joy Podcasts. Where you want them, when you want them. Dzień dobry. I am Kylie from Poland. It's great to have a place like Joy 94.9 where we can talk about trans issues from across the globe on a World Wide Wave. You're on the show that takes you around the globe one queer story at a time, Worldwide Wave. A special hello to everybody listening to us on podcast. You can subscribe to receive our podcasts automatically either at joy.org.au forward slash Worldwide Wave or on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a review. Now, you may have had something pop up in your social media feeds over the last few days. If you haven't, time to get on it uh there is a push to uh include lgbtiq people in the next australian census what they must surely mean is for people to identify themselves as being correct yeah yes yeah so it's really about visibility um and uh it's something that has been uh, um uh, requested for many years by many advocates mm. um but uh, has been denied by the previous government uh, so there is a push to make sure that the current government adds it in. Uh, there's actually two petitions going. There's a, one direct to uh, the House of Representatives. So if you go on to the Australian Parliament House, abh.gov.au, and go to the e-petition section, you can sign up for that one. That one closes tomorrow night. That's the, the quick one. Mm, not much time there. And there's also one on change.org, which is really – it's already, it's already got over 6,000 people in three days. Mm. Um uh, and it's really about showing there is a groundswell of support behind this. 
After the show, we're going to post those on our Facebook page. So if you can't find them, just go to World Wide Wave on Facebook or W Number Three Joy is our little um, shortcut. And yeah, because uh, the um, the address is very long. Yes, it's a long. <laughs> You'd need to see it we'll in writing or click it. <laughs> Um, and uh, hopefully uh, we can get that measure included in the next census in 2026. Mm. In every country... Masculinity here is, is a highly valued prize. And every corner of the world... I'm fighting for rights of LGBT people in Nigeria. Breaking news and current issues. The LGBT community has definitely pulled together here in Orlando. Mixed with stories of everyday people. I'm a gay man. All with one thing in common. They're part of the world's diverse LGBTIQ community. Speaking from Ukraine. Mongolia. In Malaysia. Speaking from France. In South Africa. Uruguay. Speaking from Jordan. Slovakia. From South Korea. Every week we bring you stories of the rainbow community across the globe. This is World Wide Wave. Many organisations have spoken out against the new rules for world athletics on the basis of health, bioethics, medical and human rights grounds. All call out world athletics testing as arbitrary and based on stereotypical gender norms and can lead to medically unnecessary interventions just to be able to compete. And this is something that these athletes have been striving their whole life for. We asked Kyle Knight from Human Rights Watch, watch if there was any recourse for appeal by the athletes. Well, so there is, and you, you can see that there is an appeal process baked in to the regulations, right? And, and the regulations go into quite a bit of detail about that. But, you know, realistically, again, looking at what um, recent decades of advocacy have tried to accomplish, mm, they're not, they're not real. It's not real recourse, right? For one, if you've been blindsided and humiliated and all of a sudden told like, oh, well, we're going to take away your livelihood and we're going to call you not woman enough and you do all these other things that are going to be quite devastating to you. There's a deep psychological question there as to whether this person is in a position to fight back, whether they even understand what's happening to them. And then there's the question of resources. Um, yes, they can appeal as Duti Chand, the Indian sprinter and Castor Semenya, the South African middle distance runner have done to a court in Switzerland called the Court of Arbitration for Sport. So think of it as a global Supreme Court for all sports. Um, it's not necessarily a venue that's going to work out. It's not a venue that has shown historically to be uh, particularly grounded in international human rights law. Um, it's not a venue that has been particularly accessible. You have to hire a legal team. You have to get yourself to Europe. You have to do jump through all of these hurdles that a lot of these athletes just don't have the resources to do or might not even know is an actual avenue. Um, but I think we can certainly expect um, to see cases being brought there. And frankly, also in other courts, um, I think the future of this issue is going to be played out in litigation. Uh, a lot of it's going to come down to resources and whether the athletes can figure out how to bring cases and want to bring cases. Um, but I think we're, you know, there's a, there's a case pending right now at the European Court of Human Rights uh, for, for the South African runner, Castor Semenya, who was ruled ineligible under the previous version of these regulations and is absolutely ruled ineligible again under these regulations. Um, we're waiting for that decision to come out. And I think that'll be a major inflection point to see what the history of, of pushback means. Um, but I think we're going to see actions taken in other domestic and regional courts. It's just, it's really going to come down to in the face of this devastating news, in the face of basically being told that your career is over, your livelihoods are gone. 
are we going to see women who have access to the resources and want to take the cases forward? Um, and it, it's a really big question because the power differentials are, are vast. And there have been, I uh, should point out, there have been quite a number of organisations who have come out against these laws, both in the medical profession, the human rights uh, profession. There's a number of angles from a legal viewpoint that they might tackle this. Is there a sport that's doing this right? That's a really good question. Um, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna commit the cardinal sin of interviews here and say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a sport that's doing, there's plenty of sports that are doing it wrong. I mean, swimming came out with, with regulations that are basic, very similar to these ones where they're just going to sex test everyone, right? They're all women, anyone who wants to compete in the women's category. And so we now have two major international sports, uh, that are, that are pushing this. Look, I think a lot of this comes down to big questions about what it means to have full women's inclusion in sports, right? And like I said before, there's no similar regulations to the male category. There's no one throwing their hands at being like, oh my God, what are we going to do with all of these men who aren't quite manly enough to compete? It's all about merit. It's all about talent. Uh, and then, of course, when you break that down, it goes into how hard you work and access to nutrition and coaching and stuff like that, right? Um, I think the key to this is returning to that conversation. If we're going to criticize and rip apart the women's category in sports over all of these different notions of fairness, let's talk about all of them. Let's put them all on the table and not just for women. Let's do it for the male category as well. Let's talk about access to resources and what that means if you're born in an informal settlement or a slum in Kenya, and then you end up on an Olympic podium. And what that means if like, oh, your testosterone's a little bit too high to run as a woman, but also you only ate once a day when you were a kid and you still overcame that. You know, if we're going to talk about fairness, let's have a really comprehensive conversation and not just home in on this one thing so that whether it's World Athletics or FINA or any other global sport association can stand up there and say, aha, we have found the solution to all of this. It's this one thing. And as long as we regulate it, everything is totally fine. We know that's not true. If we're going to talk about fairness, let's have a genuine good faith conversation about it. And to be honest, I, I know I'm barking into the wind here because that's not the conversation that these organizations want to have, right? They would rather oversimplify. They would rather make us think that these policies are solving it, but these are a solution in search of a problem. What they're doing is they're hunting down women who are good at what they do, defining arbitrarily how to exclude some of them. And in the process, they're going to ruin and humiliate a lot of women because now they're just going to start testing left and right anytime suspicion gets brought up. And it's going to be a horrible experience, even for women who ultimately are ruled eligible to compete, um, to be hauled out, to be marched in front of uh, medical panels and put through all of these tests that question your identity, question who you are, question all these things about your body that you had never questioned yourself before. I mean, this is going to be quite a regime to live under. And very radical ideas there from you, Kyle, about putting the athletes at the centre of this uh, this issue <laughs> rather than the, the other things. Uh, Kyle Knight, Senior Researcher at Global Advocacy Group, Human Rights Watch, thank you so much for joining us on Worldwide Wave. Thank you too. It really does feel, Andrew, that the athletes are the Leading right at the end of the process. They mm. are the least considered in this policy. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty. I love that co that quote there. Um, uh, a solution in search of a problem, and that's what <laughs> kind of comes back to that whole thing about you know they're spending all this time and energy on what they currently 
um, articulate themselves as being 13 elite athletes. Yeah. Very strange. The risk in this, though, I think, is, you know, you've got some very big sports, athletics and swimming, who've, if you like, set the tone. They've come out and said, this is where we're going. The risk is that other sports who um, aren't as well-resourced or aren't as big then say, well, they're doing it, so we'll we'll follow. Oh, they'll all follow suit. There's no question about that. Mm. There's uh, and and then of course it looks like this is all sort of heading to courts, which is exactly what sport shouldn't be about. No, no, um, last thing. E- even if the athlete themselves has the resources to fight this, which is a you know a stretch, um, I wonder if some of the national sporting bodies are willing to. Get into get some skin in this game as well, or whether they'll just sort of stand back and say, "Oh no, that's your fight." Yeah, it's hard to say, isn't it? Mm. I tend to think that they'll um, try to get out of it. Mm. Mm. There is one one wafer thin piece of good in this, which is that uh, uh, Athletics Australia has set up a review committee, which includes a trans athlete. So over the next twelve months, they plan to review whatever so-called science they're, they're looking at and review how the policy's going. A and male, they, male trans athlete or...? Um, I don't think they've said. I'm assuming, because there's no rules on, on um, female to male athletes mm. at the moment, I would say it is a female athlete. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. I'm not holding my breath, but it's, you know, if we've got to find a little ray of Chink good of, in there, yeah. <laughs> that's mm. it. Listen live or on demand from wherever you are in the world. Stream us live on joy.org.au or subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform to World Wide Wave. Hi everyone, this is Imani da Silva, a transgender activist from Angola on the World Wide Wave. Receive LGBT news from around the world throughout the week. Like World Wide Wave on Facebook now. A big bunch of thanks to Kyle Knight, Senior Researcher at Human Rights Watch. You can follow their work at hrw.org and uh, we will uh, post a link to the report that we mentioned earlier on in the show on our Facebook page. And thanks to people who have interacted with us on Facebook. Send us a message. That's Richard, Lana, Stefan and a heap more. Uh, That's W3Joy on Facebook. And don't forget, we're going to post the links to those petitions on our Facebook page as well. So if you like us on Facebook, you'll you'll get all these news stories throughout the week as Mm. well. Got a great behind-the-scenes team. Our podcaster, Peter, uh, does a great job in getting our podcasts out. And social media master, Dean, thank you so much. We'll be back next week with more World Wide Wave. Thanks for listening to another podcast from World Wide Wave, the show that takes you around the globe one country at a time. World Wide Wave is the international news and current affairs show on Australia's LGBT radio station Joy 94.9. You can listen live every Tuesday night on 94.9 FM in Melbourne and online at joy.org.au. You'll find all our podcasts at joy.org.au slash worldwidewave or follow us on Facebook for the latest international LGBT news. Search W3Joy on Facebook now. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with Joy. Joy.